0: what you want when you want it where you want it this is the mesh hey this is moose from street circle
1: drive that's the hickory north carolina centric podcast here on the mesh be sure to check out our show and all the others at themesh.tv
2: foot candle films film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies
0: This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to
2: Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan Jackson. I am the co-director and co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Society and the Foot Candle Film Festival. Chris Fry is with me as always. Chris. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Looking Chris forward is, to talking about movies. Chris is also the other co-director, co-founder of the aforementioned organizations as well. Yes. And we have been co-hosts on the show for since the very beginning. I don't even know how long we've been going now, do we? Long time. We don't number our episodes, do we?
1: We don't. We did start the Film Society before we started the podcast. Um but And we've been doing that for twelve years? Twelve years. I think maybe this has been going on for maybe ten We probably need to
2: look in and get our, our crack research staff to find out when our actual ten year anniversary is going
1: to be. It was one be. of the first shows so that we went on celebrate. the mesh uh the mesh dot T V network. network. Yeah, yeah. So that's will be an easy way to kinda of nail that down. So oh, great. Well if this is your first time joining us, welcome. Uh, we've
2: got 10 years' worth of episodes still on our time <laughs> that feel free to listen to. But uh, let's get to what we're here to do, and that is to talk about films and movies and movie news. Uh, this is our film review and discussion show here on the Mesh.TV Podcast Network. Every time we get together, we review one or two or maybe sometimes three films uh, that are fairly new uh, for theater goers to go see. Then we'll also hit some news items. We have a couple segments we like to go into on some of our news. About upcoming film productions coming up, or rumors we've heard about uh, projects, or even exploring the trailers. We're going to do a little bit of that today. A couple new trailers for some films. We're going to talk about just that intro trailer that we've uh, been given access to, and then we always tap up our episodes with the recommendations. That's our. Final bit of the show, we each give a recommendation of a film that we think is worth checking out, maybe something you have overlooked in the past, something uh, we just caught back up with and thought might be worth your time if you're looking for something to watch. Uh, maybe not wanting to go to the multiplex, watch something on your home TV streaming. Uh, we're here to help you with those recommendations. Now, Chris, we've got two films we're going to be reviewing today. Uh, one is a, The Invisible Man, brand new film that's out in movie theaters as we're recording this. It's a
1: 2020 release. Yeah, that's right. One of our first
2: official 2020 releases, I believe, mm-hmm. that we've been talking about on the show. And then we'll also be discussing a 2019 film, but one we're just now having a chance to catch up with. It receives the Oscar nominations, but it was Pain and Glory, starring Antonio Banderas. We're going to be discussing that one as well. But let's go ahead and go first into our main primary review. That is the latest film uh, in the, oh gosh, in the dark universe. Is that the word I'm going to use? Sure. Universal old monster movies, the reboot that they're going through. This is it. It's The Invisible Man.
0: As the attorney representing Adrian's trust, I'm required to read a prepared statement. Cecilia, although our relationship was far from perfect... I thought that you would talk to me rather than run away. Are you okay?
1: What happened to him?
0: He cut his wrists. Per his final wishes, you're getting $5 million. Contingent, of course, on the fine print, he can't be ruled to be mentally incompetent.
2: So, Chris, after 2017's The Mummy, I don't know if you recall that.
1: I recall it because I you have urged people on Letterboxd to take it as more of a hey this is fun come hey, on I'm not the only one hey, who thinks this is good. horrible so I, I do recall it I never saw it had okay. Mister Tom Cruise but it, I never it saw did
2: it. it was one of Tom Cruise's rare flops I mean he just
1: doesn't really make so a not lot only of flop but with like critical but like box office oh flop. yeah absolutely
2: okay. um, after that film that was kind of Universal's attempt to create a new shared universe with all of their Legacy horror characters, you know, the Wolfman, Frankenstein, Dracula, uh, a universe they deemed the dark universe. It was dead, never to be seen again after the mummy completely flopped. Um, There were rumors at one point that Johnny Depp was going to be in a new Invisible Man film. And that, I think, got scuttled as soon as they saw the returns on the mummy and said, "Okay, never mind. We're not going to (laughs) go. Never mind. Never mind. That's so true. instead, what Universal Studios did is start focusing a little bit more on horror films that weren't really tied to like those legacy characters. So they did Jordan Peele's Us was a universal film. Um, the recent Halloween reboot, even though Halloween, I know, is a kind of a franchise thing, it was, it's not one of those classic universal right. horror characters. Gotcha. And they were very successful with both those films. Both those films made a good bit of money and got a lot of acclaim. So now enter Bloomhouse Productions. You know, that's the production company that's kind of become well known for horror films on a very, very small budget. Mm-hmm. So now enter Bloomhouse Productions. You, they are given a measly $7 million budget. Uh, and then you have independent actor Supreme Elizabeth Moss and writer director Lee Wannell, whose car- credits include the Saul and Insidious franchises. You mix all that together, and now you've got a new version of the old 1933 film, The Invisible Man. So while this isn't any kind of attempt to create a new shared universe, it is a retelling of one of those original Universal horror characters. And in this new take, we meet Cecilia, played by uh, Elizabeth Moss, whose abusive ex husband takes her own life, takes his own life, and leaves her fortune, uh, leaves his fortune to her, all while she suspects that maybe his death was just a hoax. As a series of coincidences turn lethal, Cecilia works to prove that she has been hinted by someone that nobody can see. So now, Chris, do you feel this version of The Invisible Man, classic tale of a man who can become invisible, will give new life to any other classic universal characters? Does it give any inspiration to want to do something creative with some of those old characters? Or should this film and all the other films like it just disappear, hmm. letting the studio focus on newer stories and newer characters instead
1: i mean the film the film overall it, it works for me. I think a lot of it is because of Elizabeth Moss, who um, you know we saw her do kind of a horror story performance in her smell, where she was like this you know addled punk rocker, but it was just like hard to watch her making bad decisions like horrible things happen to her this she 's actually in a horror movie. But, you know, she portrays the anguish of somebody who's just had all these horrible experiences happened, you know, abuse and everything. Whether, I mean, if, <laughs> should it launch the Dark Universe <laughs> flagship yeah. tentpole movie just, thing? So, just to
2: be clear, I don't really care about all that. So uh, <laughs> I guess basically, yeah, did this film work? So I
1: mean, it did work. You know, if, if they were to take the care in trying to make something original instead of just kind of slapdashing, I, I don't know, like if they could craft other, you know, a Wolfman movie that had this much thought and stuff put into it. I don't know. Um, You know, it it could work. Do I, do I want to see it launch a dark universe? Probably not. Um, But, you know, the reason for me to, the reason, what got me interested in this movie was Elizabeth Moss. When I saw she was going to do kind of a horror movie, I was like, well, that's interesting, but I am curious. I'm curious to see what they do. And, you know, this subject matter, I, ha- I know kind of the baseline story. I've seen other iterations of this movie before. So um, there was enough there that kept me interested. So I thought it was a worthwhile go. What, what were your feelings on uh, The Invisible Man?
2: So um, I did ultimately like this movie. I came out having had a really good time. Okay. I will say that. I think uh, it was probably, you know, I'm not a huge horror movie guy. Gotcha, uh, if I'm going to go see a horror film, I generally want it to be a horror film that has a lot, more, has a little more thinking involved and builds up more tension, as opposed to gore, as opposed like that. to violence and gore. Sure. And I think this was definitely more in the vein of what I'm interested in—more of a
1: thriller than more a thriller,
2: but sure. yet enough scary, tense moments to keep me on the edge of my seat. And this film did that. Right. I'd say for 90% of the running time, of this film, I'm totally into it. I'm digging it. I think it's a really well-made, intense kind of horror film. Um, it's a modern telling of a an older style story and I think it works in today's culture um, I think it's got to make some interesting choices that I'll kind of get into it in a little bit but I gotta be honest uh, the last 10-15 minutes did kind of throw me down a, a loop on the film that I came out not as positive as I did going into the large majority of it
1: uh, we'll have to have some spoiler talk because there's some interesting questions I have but I would ruin probably stuff the big that's the whole point, is right. I've
2: got more questions afterwards than sure. I think I should have had. I understand a relatively... I mean, this is a fairly popcorn film. Yeah. It had enough interesting elements to it to make it rise above your standard popcorn horror films. But it was still pretty much a just you know a, 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 run, a pretty routine film for the most part. But in those situations, I still need to have some understanding of what... The character's motivations were, and especially why, in this case, the invisible man makes the choices, did the things, is the person that they say. Anyway, it, I can't talk about it without being <laughs> spoilery, but sure, it did. Unfortunately, I was so into this film until that last 15 minutes or so, and I found myself saying, oh man, such a wasted thing where you could have just capped this movie off and just really made it work but instead they had to throw more question marks on there that I just don't think worked I think they tried to make it an ambiguous film and I don't think it worked so but I I loved every other element of it I thought it was a well well made film love the pacing of it I love the building of tension throughout the scenes Um, there are scenes Elizabeth Moss wrestling with an invisible man Actually, really good. Pretty impressive. (laughs) I mean, it's you know, of course, I know that there's there's trickery involved to do these things, but I couldn't tell. I mean, it looked really.
1: Believable, I will say a shame of the trailer that is out for this movie don't don 't watch it because there's some stuff i mean it doesn 't spoil like the ending it doesn 't spoil some other things, no, but, but some of what you 're talking about is shown in the trailer, and I wish I would have just gone in with yeah, no idea of like because some of that stuff is still cool to watch, but if you had no idea of some of it playing out, it would have been amazing
2: yeah yeah well <laughs> i agree I, I I felt the exact same way there are certain scenes in the trailer that subconsciously watching this movie, I kind of know, oh, I know they're going to get to this scene, so this has got to happen to make them get there. Right. And I didn't like knowing that.
1: Um, I th- I'm, I'm impressed that the effects, like you've kind of mentioned, you know, with the invisible stuff – the effects were as solid as they were, especially, you know, I like a lot of Blumhouse films. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, like you had mentioned, it's kind of a lower production budget. You figure some of that, or maybe a lot of it, is Elizabeth Moss's salary. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, for it to look as good as it does, um, that's pretty impressive. But I guess, you know, Blumhouse has had a lot of success now, so they're getting bigger and better funded, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, but even so, you know,
2: for, for a relatively low-budget film, sure, I agree, the effects on... And again, we're going to do this without spoiling the Invisible Man itself. I would just say the effects around that Invisible Man, especially in this latter part of the film, I thought were pretty cool. Yeah, I actually really liked the way they <laughs> made this character. I hate saying believable in today's society, and the way they visualized him on the screen, it really worked. Sure, and no, I agree. Change happens with that character late in the film in the way he appeared or didn't appear at times that made it even more to me tense, you know, when they built up that effect later on again, right? it's so spoilery. I can I don't, <laughs> I, I don't want to get into that, but sure. they did a really good job with those effects. I'll just leave it at that.
1: I'll say that um, we were dancing around things and this will involve that as well. But you mentioned, you know, at the top, your question was kind of launching a dark universe or launching something Something that would definitely keep me interested, and I'll put a little asterisk on my comment here, and then I'll explain it in the spoiler talk because I can't explain it too much. But if Elizabeth Moss reprises her role, and I'm going to put a little asterisk there, if they made a sequel in this movie, I would be extremely interested if she's involved and reprises her role yeah. and how they could do it, and it would be amazing. And the rest of that I'll explain
2: in yeah. spoiler talk. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I know exactly where you're going with it, where the film kind of leads yeah. us, and I, I'd like to see that too. Again, I had a really good time with this movie. I mean, I will tell you, Chris, I, I, uh, I'm not one that to react in movie theaters much. You know, okay. I don't typically laugh out loud. I typically don't gasp at tense parts. There is a scene in this film The dinner scene between Elizabeth Moss' character and her sister, yes, honestly made me kind of go, "Oh crap!" You know, out loud in the theater.
1: Yes, and I I know what you're talking about.
2: Wow! So that scene alone kind of got me for the film. It hooked me. Well,
1: and moments like that were kind of unpredictable. But I was some of the twists that were made in the film. I felt like were really predictable.
2: Well, in the film you're saying, or. Um, because to me, late in the film, it was, it was a little more predictable, and then they just completely threw it down the, threw it out the out the window and threw. Anything
1: I guess there again, to, spoiler uh, talk. Yeah. I'll talk about stuff, but um, I felt like they were a little predictable, which decreased my enjoyment of the film. But you know, viewer mileage may vary. It depends on you. Know, sometimes you watch a movie, you don't pick up on stuff, and that way you enjoy it more than others. But I. Yeah, we'll we'll have to get into spoiler talk and talk about the ending and stuff. But um, yeah. something, yeah. So I, I don't know. I think if you're looking to be, you know, completely confused or befuddled, like in a Christopher Nolan film or something like that, where you kind of don't know where the pieces are falling until they fit together at the end, this didn't quite have that, no. you know, no. effect. But you know, it maybe I, it's not trying to do that. Yeah, so. I made
2: a guess about. A third of the way through the film, leaning over to my wife saying, um, I think this is going to be the case. And I was right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm fine with that because, again, I'm, I'm, I watch enough films, I typically am looking for those angles that they're going to try to play. Sure. Um, I just feel like, unfortunately, they added another 10 minutes, 15 minutes to this film that overly complicated the plot, overly made a lot more questions pop up, and I will just say, too, uh, I know one of the main characters, Elizabeth Moss' friend, that she actually is living with, he and his daughter, he's a police officer. Outside of him, the police don't come across very well in this film. (laughs) And there's a lot more questions about the amount of research and homework they actually did on any of these cases or anything that's going on. Anyway, it's all spoilery talk. I can't get into it, but it's just... Unfortunately, I don't like coming out of a movie with more questions in my head about why did this person do this this way and why not do it this way? and What was their end goal? That's my big question. Is I don't understand end goals of the characters here in this film.
1: I think that's uh, fair.
2: And I, I just wish I did because that would have given me – I would have walked out of the theater just completely satisfied, really loving this film and being a big fan for it. But it's it's a little mixed bag for me right now.
1: Sure. I I will say, kind of, my summary was that, you know, I thought it was kind of like you touched on, it was a decent popcorn blockbuster. But after the film, I went back and looked at the director, Lee Winnell, who you mentioned. Interesting, this was a remake, obviously. And he is slated to write and direct a remake of Escape from New York um, in 2022. Mm. Um, no actors are attached to it, but he's supposed to write and direct a remake of the... Originally, it was John Carpenter, Escape from New York, and it had Kurt Russell. So True. interesting that uh, he's going to do another remake. Um, so,
2: Well, this, this, this film should help him solidify those deals. Uh, you know, it's making... It, it had a good box office performance first weekend, of course, against a $7 million budget. You make $29, $30 million in the first weekend. That's, that's pretty good. I'm pretty happy well. with that. Yeah. So, um, and the feedback, the critics, for the most part, have all been really positive on it as well. So, again, I enjoyed it. I had a really good time with it. I thought it was thrilling. I thought it was interestingly told. I love the premise, kind of the overall setup and premise of the story. <laughs> I really thought Elizabeth Moss was great. She just, she knows how to play tormented individuals. She does. Extremely well. Yeah. And someone that's kind of teetering on that edge of you just don't know if they're going to lose their sanity going through this process or not, or if they're going to come out triumphant on the other end. You never knew with her, which is great. I love that performance of her. And uh, again, for 80, 90% of the film, I'm totally down with it. I just, I do need to talk to somebody about the ending and just, overall motivations of sure. certain characters. So,
1: Well, why don't we, I guess, move into spoiler talk for the Invisible Man. If you do not do want to now? hear okay? Invisible Man spoiler talk, I would suggest you just fast forward until you hear some trailer for Pain and Glory. That'll be a good way for you to know that you've missed the spoiler talk.
2: Okay, so, so we're going to do spoiler talk now. We're giving enough of a little preamble now so people can skip ahead. And when you hear the Pain and Glory trailer, which will have some music yeah. and all that, then you know... You're far enough ahead. You can start listening again. Okay. So starting in three, two, one. Okay. So here's my issue, Chris. Okay. I don't understand what the goal of quote, the invisible man, the ex-husband was in this whole scenario. Okay. Was it just to have her come back so he can have the baby? Is that the whole deal?
1: Well, okay. So the husband, which we actually didn't get into in the uh, review, he's an inventor. And so he develops a suit that can let people go invisible. Sure. So, you know, she escapes from him. Mm -hmm. Um, by. she was going to drug him, but then she doesn't end up drugging him. Well, I
2: think she does to make him sleep heavier. Okay. I think that was the thing is he was a lot more drowsy because she gave him some medication. But she's yeah. able
1: to escape, but then he actually does figure out she's escaped because alarms go yeah, off yeah. and he like catches up to her, but he doesn't get her. And then here's my like big, huge problem, since we're in spoiler territory, he supposedly commits suicide.
2: Yeah, supposedly. And
1: I think this is where you're getting in with the police. Yeah. Because... You know, if you commit suicide and you're dead, you have a body. There's a body, yes. And we see photos when she goes to the brother of this the guy, who's like is, the,
2: is an attorney over
1: the estate and everything. The, estate. And the whole deal is she has to remain sane so that yeah. she doesn't get the or other. she doesn't her get this money. An
2: urn of ashes, and he shows her the photographs of his brother that look like he's dead on the ground, which
1: you assume photograph was from a police report when they found the crime scene. And a body has then been creamed. like yeah, and he's supposed to cream it. So the police have seen a body, so he is really dead. You know, spoiler, here's the whole thing at 12. He's not dead. He's not. <laughs> so I don't that, that's issue number one. I don't understand how that, that, that I don't understand how is that can work. Okay, now right,
2: let's continue. Right. That's issue number one. Okay. He wants to get revenge on her because she left him. Correct. Which I get that. And then you also find out that she's pregnant. Throughout the process, too, while she's trying to escape from him, so he's tormenting her as an invisible man. She doesn't know. She, well, and he's now she thinks he, it's he, him. He, okay. She starts to believe it's him because of the little clues and things that she Now we knows. think
1: he is team tormenting her with his brother, or do we think? See, when I was watching the movie, the thing that I guessed was that it was it was all the it was all the brother. All the brother. I, that's what I guessed. And so when the brother, you know, died or they killed the brother, you know, it's like okay. And then I don't get how. How do they then. How do they. they, She then goes to the house and she. With the police and they find the brother. Like, how does it happen that it's revealed that the brother is still alive? That's what Um, I don't understand. Okay.
2: I I get the impression that the brothers were working together, but then somehow the main –
1: So you don't think the lawyer brother actually did. Tape the other brother up and lock him up. I don't, think, up. So. I don't okay. think that was
2: all staged.
1: And that's what the brother does. the brother stages that the surviving brother stages that so that he can get out. Yeah. Okay. I
2: think the, the surviving brother stage set it up to say, "Look, that's my fail safe. If my brother gets killed. killed or arrested, then I'm going the route of he was controlling me and he had me kidnapped and down okay. the, <laughs> the basement of the building." Okay. But again, this all makes no sense because what was the end goal? <laughs> The end goal for the the husband was to get his wife back and have their baby.
1: Right. Okay. Because he's so a very then, controlling.
2: So then, he? why go through the whole rigmarole of faking his death, giving her this money, saying, "Here, you're going to get all this money now. Your only stipulation is you can't be you can't have a, a be, uh, commit a crime or can't be deemed mentally unfit." Right. So here, we're going to give you this money. Okay. Now we're going to go through the machinations of trying to make her seem crazy and set her up for murder. Okay. So then we can take the money back. Let let me throw throw something out there. Yeah.
1: Okay. And this makes me kind of – yeah. So I had questions, and this gets into my part about how if they made a sequel and Elizabeth Moss was in it and they did something with this, I think it could be really interesting. Okay. Let's assume – and there again, I think we're thinking way more about this than the person who wrote and directed the movie did. Probably so. Which is sad. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's let's say that the lawyer brother actually really did put his brother in the okay. basement. All right. Okay? So that brother was still abusive. Still but a bad husband. Still a bad husband. But he didn't commit any of this. But he didn't do all this stuff, stalking her after her death, everything like that. That was all his brother. Yeah. Okay, now his brother dies, and somehow they figure out that there's this 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 other brother. Okay, Elizabeth Moss goes there. She agrees to have dinner with him and everything. She does. Okay, but hear me out. Here's the thing: she he was really horrible. But then she, whether she's holding against all the other stuff or all the mental anguish that she's gone through since then. she thinks he helped his brother. He didn't. Okay. And so then she murders him. Yeah. And granted, the guy was a jerk, but he never did any like killing. And I guess, you right. know, like, I don't know, like probably didn't deserve to die to die, but, but maybe, maybe definitely yeah. divorced yeah, yeah, and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Right. So and then her walking out. Like she she steals the suit and she has this look in her eye. Basically, if the future invisible movies aren't invisible man movies but an invisible woman movie and she now has this psychotic break where she is a villain, I I think that would be amazing. I I think
2: that would be good. All right, but here's still – okay, just to poke some hole. I I love if that was the concept.
1: Right. To me, that would be perfect. I'm a little fuzzy because I don't remember how the brother being in the basement was revealed. I don't remember. I don't, that. All I
2: remember is that there were some police, uh, uh, Elizabeth Moss's characters at the police station saying, "No, it, it wasn't just the brother. I know it. I know it was my ex."
1: Because of things he that. said. Yeah,
2: and then you see police officers going through to house, search
1: the house. Okay, and
2: you hear like the the yelling from down in the
1: basement. Okay. All right. If it really was just the brother, and she figures this out because when she's at the dinner, he says something as he well. Says, Surprise. And that's what the yeah. guy said to her. So she knew, like without a doubt, that he was kind of flimsy of
2: the, to base it off of. She
1: knew without a doubt that he was one of the people that had been stalking her. Okay. Maybe.
2: <laughs> and then here is my other issue: is at the end, okay? So she kills him by putting on the suit that she has stashed in the closet, right.
1: which I was fine with them bringing that back around. I was too.
2: Put on the suit, sneak out there, cut his throat, just like they did his sister, her sister, in the di- di- dining uh, restaurant, right? However, she then, there's a security camera watching. Well, she backs out of the frame. she does. but she's invisible. Right. It looks like he's, however, at this point, invisible suits are now have been introduced. The police know these exist. Okay. Because they just found a guy in the police officer's house that had been shot who had been wearing an invisible suit and doing all these things. So now if you see a videotape of the same guy. But they who, don't
1: know a second suit exists. Well, but still. I mean, they don't
2: know a second you, suit you exists. still see a videotape of what looks like a guy slitting his own throat, which you're like, why would he have done that? They're
1: again, setting it up for a sequel with the police do know and then come after they, her. I mean,
2: I could actually see where her friend, the police officer, even though at the end he was a little hesitant, he's like, well, on, on sound, it sounded like he committed, he killed himself. She's like, right. Good. that's what I wanted to make sure it was—is that the microphone
1: right. sounded because like he basically knows he—he he knows that he she knows killed. He did right, and, and he really had
2: no evidence right, to base right. off the fact that her husband actually did these other things, right? And was worthy of dying, right? So yeah, if he, he was an abusive, approach, uh, he
1: was an abusive husband, but we don't actually know. Do we know? I mean, he was verbally abusive. Well, she
2: okay. So they ask her, a family asked her at one point, her friends asked her at one point. And we know
1: she's pregnant, but she didn't you? want to be she pregnant. She said,
2: among other things. Okay. That's all she left it as.
1: So rape really was sat. probably happening. You know, way. you could
2: go with the whole, that she kind of imagined a lot of the abuse he did to her, and mm. it was all kind of in her head, and now she's uh, murdered him, and now she's the bad guy. I don't know. Right. I, I just feel like there were way too many plot hole questions, I, especially with the agreed. police involvement. And the whole suicide of the, of the husband and early on, like, why wasn't that? It was on the news. Like if it was on the news, there should be police records of it. It should be like a, well, there you know,
1: should be a body, right. a dead body. That's so a brother.
2: Shouldn't that be <laughs> so something to tip off that he actually did? I dead? would I, think so. Anyway, a lot of big questions there. That's, yeah. that's what hurt my enjoyment of the film. Uh, same and here. I was fine with it up until they got to that last scene at the house over dinner. Right. Cause I'm thinking, okay, the brother did it. It's Perfect. Her husband actually did leave in the will that she would get this money if he were to die. Or he did a suicide note. He's like, look, yeah, you can have the money. Right. So the brother has to enact that trust. But I was like, well, the only way I can get that money is if she's deemed unstable or right. criminal. So I'm going to, I know about the invisible suit, so I'm going to make her go crazy. And right. I'm gonna make her look like she murdered somebody. And I'm going to get <laughs> all the money. Perfect. I mean... All the, everything makes sense. Sure. And if the movie had ended with, oh, look, it was the brother, and he was just trying to get back to get the money from her. Okay, done. Movie's over. I get it. Made sense. The whole them finding the brother down in the basement, saying he was kidnapped, but then she killed him anyway, that whole thing just threw everything into a tailspin for me.
1: Yeah, I understand. Same. I'm kind of on the same page.
2: It just—I think it made it more complicated than it needed to. Sure. Where you could have had a pretty straightforward film, and I thought it would have been incredibly exciting and interesting to watch.
1: It was—they wanted to throw one more twist because the whole time you're supposed to assume, oh, it's the brother and he's somehow alive, or it's the husband, he's somehow alive, and then you're like, oh no, it's the brother, and they wanted to be—the twist was, oh no, it's both, and they—they they should have just left. I was wonder out. if
2: that was all added later on in the process that Maybe. last scene. Like, really, it was going to end inside. The house. Right. They shoot the brother. They take off the mask. They see it, the brother. And then it's like, okay, that's it. And
1: it's like, no, we need a no, little we need extra. More.
2: We need to bring the husband back somehow. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So we're done? Yes. We have picked it apart. We've spoiled so. everything on it. So we're going to move on then to our second review, which is the latest film from Pedro Almodovar starring Mr. Uh, Antonio Banderas. It is Pain and
1: Glory. No has sido un buen hijo, hijo mío
0: ¿No? No ¿Qué haces aquí? Tengo que hablar contigo 32 años me ha costado reconciliarme con esta película Si
2: no escribes ni ruedas, ¿qué vas a hacer?
0: Vivir, supongo
1: When I think of Pedro Almodovar and his films, like Volver, All About My Mother, etc., I think of Vibrant Colors and Penelope Cruz. Well, this film delivers with the colors and Cruz, so my expectations were met. Alan, were yours?
2: Um, so I didn't have any expectations going in. I've okay. seen some of his other films, but they're very scattered. I, sure. I'm not a Almodovar completist. Okay. I even had to look up on IMDb just to see like when his last film was, because he's... Here's the thing about Amadeova. A lot of a lot of these uh, directors from other countries, especially you know, Mexico or Spain or some of these other Spanish-speaking countries, we get so many films we see here in the United States. But only a couple, especially the Mexican directors, have gotten like big hits. You know, you got In and you've got um, A Quran, mm-hmm. both with a. lot of... You know, this is a Spanish director. He's made a lot of movies, but Pants. none of them have really taken fire here in the United States. Okay. And so I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of that. I haven't watched all of his films. I've seen maybe, I think looking at the list, three of them or so. Okay. So I really went in with no expectations. And I think watching this after the Oscar season, it was nominated for Best Actor for Antonio Banderas. But I don't think it was nominated for anything else, if I remember correctly.
1: I don't think so. I think that was uh, – was it up for foreign film? I don't with remember. With Parasite? Sorry. International film? <laughs>
2: yeah. I don't think it was. Okay. I, I don't know. I could be wrong. Um, So I really had no expectations other than I like Antonio Banderas. I've liked the Amadovar films I've seen in general. Mm -hmm. So I was curious, but no expectations. So did it hit expectations? Sure, because I really had. (laughs) didn't have any. Um, Okay. I love this film. I actually (laughs) really, really love this film. I did not think I would react to it like I did. Um, Maybe it's the fact that I kind of look a little bit like Banderas' character age-wise right now with, you know, the beer. You're not doing
1: heroin there. No, I'm not doing heroin, <laughs> okay. but the,
2: but the okay. salt and pepper everywhere. Sure. Just, I don't know. I saw a little bit too much of that going on there. Of course, it's, the film is a lot about, you know, a film director reflecting on the choices he's made, past and present, a lot of flashbacks, thinking about relationships and people he's met along the way that he either feels a need to reconcile with mm-hmm. or try to understand his feelings towards them. And they really kind of are all hitting along the side. he starts doing drugs, which I think accentuates a lot of these feelings he has. Sure. Um, but yeah, this movie really, really worked for me. I, I think it's just, it's just such a great moving film about the aging process, about memories and trying to keep a hold of those memories, relationship with your family. I thought the relationship he had with his mother was very interesting. And then resolution, you know. There's like three or four different relationships in this in this film that he has to deal with, either choosing to reconcile with them, to you know, continue a relationship with them, whatever it may be, or understanding them. Or and uh, I thought the film was really great for for doing that. And uh, I thought Antonio Banderas was was solid, was really good in this. Um, not a super showy role, so I kind of understand you know, not maybe not winning Best Picture on it, but. I definitely saw the reason why he was in the field to be right. nominated there. So True. I, I have a lot of strengths with this film. Things I'll point out. But Chris, what did you think of it?
1: I, I, I liked this film a lot. Um, I've seen, definitely have not seen all of Almodovar's films, but I've seen, I've seen probably maybe half of his filmography. And of his films that I have seen, this is definitely my favorite. Okay, yeah, well, um, it's
2: definitely the favorite of the few I've seen too. Yeah.
1: And you know. Penelope Cruz, what struck me so much is that she is clearly such an unbelievable muse for Almodovar. She's been in a couple, you know, a lot, not all of his films, but she's been in many of them. And with this one, and he's talked about his collaboration with her. He's very open about how she's just like, you know, a muse for him. But I just can't think of any star that's been on screen since Marilyn Monroe, who is name-checked or referenced in this film, that has looked so beautiful on screen as Almodovar is able to make Penelope Cruz look in this sure. film. I mean, it's just even while she's playing
2: a just a mom, a working mother, <laughs> yeah. you know, that not living in the best of situations, and yet he still made yeah, she still a great
1: Yeah, the way he shoots Penelope Cruz, you feel like mirrors the way Almodovar his loving, nostalgic gaze towards mom. Like it just it just really really works like if he did, actually i can't imagine him casting anybody else as his mom in this film like yeah. i just think something about that and going in with the knowledge of how much he admires her and how much they've worked together it just it wasn't distracting it just kind of added another level to the mm-hmm. film that i think really worked for me um you know it's surprising you know it's obviously it's kind of a thinly veiled fictionalized mm-hmm. biopic that's why i assume. <laughs> um yeah, yeah. And it's, it's surprising how much of it Almodovar is kind of willing to say about himself, kind of unflinching and not worried about appearing selfish with drugs and betraying of friends and relationships. Um, it, it's, it was really interesting and to me so much more interesting than if he would have made just a straightforward biopic. Sure. Um, and if somebody else would have made it, but the fact that it's, he does bother to change names, but yet well, you kind of know, like he kinda,
2: just, there's enough there. Director, right? uh, I don't know enough about Almodovar's uh, film history to know if there was an actor or actress that he had a public falling out with because right. of public comments made, but I can't, I'd be shocked if there wasn't one that <laughs> this was based off of.
1: What if it was, because I think he's been in other ones of his films. What if it was Banderas?
2: I don't know. Banderas was in uh, The Skin...
1: The Skin I Live In, which I I have not seen, which I really... After watching this film and seeing Banderas, I was like, I want to go back and watch that film. That's the only other one I
2: know of that Banderas was in. I could be wrong, but I I remember when they joined up for that film, that was kind of a
1: big deal, I thought. Big deal. I just, wow. yeah, I that was curious about, and I'm really, you know, you talked about it not being that much of a showy role, and it wasn't. He was good in it, and I yeah. can see why he was nominated, because he has to carry the film, because he's the focus of it. But the, there's an actor in the film that plays a friend of his, and like you mentioned, they have The Falling Out. His, I can't believe he, I mean, granted, it's a foreign film, it's hard to get nominated. I mean, look at Parasite, they didn't have any acting mm. nominations. But the guy who played his friend actor he'd had the he was amazing well, he was good, he was yeah. really good
2: uh they, that was a great I love the interactions between those two characters, which really happened a lot more in the first half of the film right but I'll tell you chris there is a there is a scene of dialogue a re, uh, a a reunion of sorts between oh yeah Banderas character and
1: uh, uh, uh
2: Federico Delgado, who's yeah. played by Leonardo Chabaglia, um man, that, that whole dialogue scene, the two of them reconnecting after all these years and just having a very natural dialogue, but mm-hmm. yet you just felt... It was so authentic and just felt moving at the same time. And just man, I loved it. I mean, that scene, I, I actually went back and watched that dialogue scene again because I just thought it was
1: so. so not fun. the not the actor who's had the falling out with, but the other no, relationship. Consumed, yeah, this was the shorter
2: true. one. Like yes. right in the middle of the film, happens one night. It's you know really this them sitting around for probably a couple hours talking.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but that scene, them comparing their lives now, telling what they've done in the meantime. But yet you can still tell there's a lot of Emotion towards one another and a sure. lot of stuff that's happened in the past that's they're both regretful of. So anyway, it was just it's a great scene, such a it, good scene.
1: It is a good scene. Um, I was surprised by you know I've talked about the colors and this movie did have all the colors of Almodovar just you know just bright costumes, set pieces, everything. Um, never seen Almodovar really use animation before. Yeah. And the use of animation to describe the medical conditions that you know the mm-hmm. director in the movie is suffering from—they were they were used in kind of a funny way, but also a very unique way, and they were very colorful. Yeah. And it kind of helped—it kind of helped gel the movie together because it kind of I don't know, it just it did a lot of explaining, but it did it in a really interesting, yeah. cool way. You know? Well, that and then
2: speaking on the colors too, you have all these vibrant bright colors, especially in Salvador's apartment. Mm -hmm. Oh man, it's just these bright, bright reds and yellows and everything all over the place. But then when you go to the flashbacks of him as a child and where he and his mother had Mm -hmm. to move into this dark white cave. Yeah. That just had nothing on it. No color. And, but yet every time you went back and visited those flashbacks, a little bit more color has been added to the point where at one point there's an entire wall of these colored, tiles you know that just right kept building on that but i love the fact that he was kind of starting with this blank slate of white and then slowly as his mother and he were there living there more and more color started to emerge Mm so um yeah colors definitely get your attention in the film all the way through Mm -hmm. um the young salvador the kid playing the young kids of salvador was really good again i'm very critical of kid actors they can make or break a film sometimes. Sure. And this one I thought was great. Oh, he was uh, really good. Really fun to watch. Um,
1: you mentioned, and, you mentioned, yeah. Oh, let me jump in. Cause yeah. you mentioned a scene with his, one of his relationships from earlier that kind of comes back. Yeah. And you really like that scene. Um, I mentioned that one actor that plays Alberto Crespo, I think mm-hmm. is that, you know, so he's the former collaborator that was in a movie that had a falling out. Uh, um, the director gives him kind of a script and allows him to go do a one man play. Mm-hmm. I thought that whole, and they show kind of a performance of it. It was called addiction. Yeah. That whole one man one-man so play good. is amazing. Yeah. Is amazing. Amazing. He out walking Phoenix dances, Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> at <laughs> yeah, one yeah. point, the actor That's who's good. doing it, it is just, I was like, Whoa. And then like you kind of mentioned the result of this play is a reuniting of somebody, and that was just how that was all woven in there. Is just a really, really memorable no, sequence.
2: I, I agree completely, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention the very last shot. I,
1: that was going to be my closing oh, thing. Yeah, so good. One of the, last shot. One of the. It was one of the best. I think. Like. Yeah ever no, I'm of with a film. You. yeah.
2: I, I honestly, that was, I'm watching this at home. And as soon as that last shot happened and I realized what it was, as it slowly zoomed out, showed us what we were, what we were seeing. I, it was a little bit of a gasp. It's like, yeah, that was, that was, that good. was good. The
1: only thing really, really that, good. the only thing that possibly could have just moved it into the realm of like, even more unbelievable is if it would have pulled back a little bit more and shown Almodovar. Oh, and like that, and that
2: would have been an incredibly meta, but right. interesting.
1: Right, right. So, but good that it yeah. stopped. where It was enough where it was, and he it probably worked. felt like no, that would just be overdoing too it too much. much. On the but nose that's all, what, all Almodovar does. Is like, you know, a lot of times stuff is just in your face, on the nose, and, you know. So, okay. but no, the last shot just so good, amazing. Yeah, no, it
2: really is. It's. It's a shame I didn't see this film earlier when we were doing our top five of the year because I think this might have crept in at four or five. I'm not sure. It would have been close. Right. I'd have to go back and evaluate. It definitely was a top ten. I oh, just yeah. don't know if it would have so made good. the top five or not. But um, I only have one criticism. Okay. It's really minor and probably probably meant to be intentional. But, and actually, I've got it pulled up on the screen here, Chris, because I know our viewers can't see it. But it's actually the shot. There are a couple of shots in this film that I'm I was surprised.
1: This one bothered me.
2: Yes. The one me you too. Hold on It was because a conversation he's
1: looks- having with an actress who's trying to get him to kind of come out of retirement well, because or it looks
2: be- like a soap opera setting. It's like the lighting, it's just it just didn't look like you even watch the next shot, just watch this. Okay? And it doesn't match. Yeah, it doesn't match. Look at yeah, that. That's man. a beautiful shot. And then the previous shot, the two shot of them, it with this solid wall behind them, it looks like a soap opera setting. There were about two or three times like this. There was another shot while he and his uh, assistant were riding in a car, mm-hmm. and it just looked so flat that, and staged. Well, man. and
1: I will say maybe that I, that bothered me, and it's only occurring to me now. And yeah, because the reverse shots would look more like film. Oh. and These shots would be like a video, almost shot on right. video in front of a soap opera. Maybe he's trying to be self-referential because his earlier stuff – was very soap opera y and also so maybe, maybe there's something to that. I could I have know. understood
2: if the whole scene was shot like that. Right. Then I'm like, oh I get what he's doing there. But the fact that you know that the close-up shots were right. really, really nicely shot, but these look just so flat and uh, uninteresting. And again, it was only like maybe two or three occasions in the film I noticed it where it did kind of jerk me out of the film just for a second. Like, mm-hmm. oh, what is this? You this
1: know? is the the one the one you have put up which nobody can see. This is the only one that i felt that way about so there was, a, there was a car
2: driving scene in particular i can remember late in the film that i did think was very similarly flat shot um interesting yeah yeah that was that was my only criticism i just i don't know why those shots were in there i there may be a purpose for Maybe. Them doing them but yeah. it just didn't quite connect with me so for whatever reason so
1: to me i'll just kind of summing up my feelings over there it was uh, autobiographical colorized mashup of Fellini's Eight and a Half and Corone's Roma, which you kind of name-checked at the beginning of the review. It really stands out for me as one of Almodovar's best because despite covering similar territory of, oh, I'm going to tell my life story or to kind of tell where I came from, like Roma, or Fellini, the struggling artist with Eight and a Half, it mashes those two together, but there's so much original going on here with plot threads being woven in and out that it just really... It's one of his best and just a really amazing I film. Loved it.
2: I, I thought it was great. I, uh, I, I kind of regret that it wasn't uh, up for more awards than mm-hmm. what it got. You know, definitely in Banderas, I could see the, the reason there. But, um, yeah, yeah, it was a powerful watch. So really, really well-made film. Great. I'm, I'm happy to hear you liked it. Because honestly, yeah, yeah, I had no idea.
1: And I got through the film without mistakenly calling it "Pain and Gain," so I'm really, <laughs> I'm really happy.
2: That's an accomplishment right there. <laughs> that is something that tripped me up early on too. But no. this film stands on its own. It, it it deserves its title. So, all right. Well, that is "Pain and Glory" by Pedro Almodovar, uh, starring Antonio Banderas. Uh, both Chris and I sound like we're on the same page and really, really connecting with this film and loving what uh, Almodovar did with it. So um, we are giving it a high, high recommendation there. Chris, let's take a quick break. We've done our two reviews, The Invisible Man and Pain and Glory. Both films we liked, but Pain and Glory, obviously, we are uh, big, uh, big, big super fans of. Um, let's go and take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have some new sections, and then we're going to end up the show with our recommendations. So stay tuned. You're listening to Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. Hey guys, this is Mary Margaret from the Chick Chat Podcast. Are you interested in promoting your business to an online audience? Your advertisement could be right here on The Mesh Podcast Network. Head over to TheMesh.tv for more details. Hello and welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. Alan Jackson and Chris Fry with the Foot Candle Film Society Foot Candle Film Festival here with you. And we are back to talking movies. We had a great two reviews in the first half of the show. But, Chris, let's move on to some future things. I mean, Those are those are films that are done. They're already, right. already out there. We've already seen them. Let's talk about some movies that should be coming up before too long. And we have a segment that we do occasionally on this show. We don't really have a theme song for it or anything yet. <laughs> but we just kind of call it the... This could be good, and it has to raise up at the end with a question mark because we don't know. Right. It's a project that we know is underway or early talks are happening, and there's elements of it that sound like it could be good, but yet we're not 100% confident in saying that (laughs) for other various reasons. So uh, if it's okay, Chris, I'm going to go ahead and jump in first because this one's been top of my mind for about the last four or five days now. Okay. I love Indiana Jones. I am a huge fan of the I call them the trilogy, because even though there were four films, I do not count the fourth film. The trilogy, <laughs> Raiders on the Lost Dark, Temple of Doom, Last Crusade. Okay. Love them all. They're some of my favorite trilogy of movies, my favorite, you know, characters in in, in, in cinema. Right. Very disappointed with Indiana Jones number four, The Crystal Skull. How many times have you seen it? One and a half.
1: Oh, okay. So you've yeah, seen yeah, it more I, than I,
2: once. Okay. I, I saw part of it again. Okay. And okay. it not work for Kingdom me. Of the 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 crystal crystal skull, Kingdom of the
1: that, Crystal Skull? Kingdom
2: of the Crystal Skull.
1: Yeah, okay.
2: I watched the first half again because I actually do like the first half of that movie. Okay. And then the second half, I think, is hot garbage. So, um, <laughs>
1: Okay, fair enough. But...
2: Uh, you know, Steven Spielberg directed all four, mm-hmm. uh, co-written with George Lucas, I think, at least on the first three. Now I don't know if he co-wrote Kingdom of Crystal Skull with Lucas or not. I cannot recall if that was in, the partnership was there or not. Okay. But they've rumored for quite a long time that they were going to have a fifth Indiana Jones movie.
1: Probably which, would have done it a lot sooner if mm-hmm. number four had been... Successful. Probably so. Uh,
2: Shia LaBeouf was in that. Shia LaBeouf was in King, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. There was a tease towards the end of the film that he was going to be kind of past the hat and be the next Indiana Jones. He's the
1: son of Indiana Jones. Yeah, Spoiler Indiana. if anybody hasn't yeah. seen Kingdom He's of the Crystal Skull. He's the son
2: School. of Indiana Jones and Marion. Uh, okay. Right. But uh, but they you know, even though they teased the hat kind of rolling towards him at the end during the church ceremony – and he gets ready to pick it up and put it on. And Anna comes by and grabs it out of his hand. And says, "Uh, uh," puts it back on. <laughs> Which I thought was kind of a nice touch. Right. Um, so they are making a fifth one, though. Okay. I remember about that for a while. Uh, at one point, they were gung ho, full force, of speed ahead. Right. Then they came back and said, "Oh no, we're doing script rewrites and other things are happening." So there was a lot of questions about whether this is still. Is Shia LaBeouf going Shire to be. Both gonna be in it? Don't don't know. Have okay. not said. My understanding is they're still working on the script, so okay. he may or may not be in it. We don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, but the big news I wanted to kind of comment on is that it was announced last week that Steven Spielberg is no longer going to be directing. Now, I can be the purist in me and look back at the original trilogy and say, oh, this is going to be bad. This is in Steven Spielberg has to be the one directing this. I'm, I'm just adamant about it. After watching Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and not really seeing Spielberg do a lot of action movies anymore this late in his career.
1: Ready Player One. (laughs)
2: Listen to that song. I I just didn't think that worked. (laughs) I mean, that was was more of a video game than it was directing human beings in action movies. Okay. So now thinking about it, I'm like, you know what? I think I'm okay with maybe it is time for Indiana Jones to be handed off to somebody else. Now, I love Harrison Ford. But I, I, think, I think it's time to reboot Indiana Jones. That's mm-hmm. just where I am on the things. I think they should go with someone young, start it again, and give it to a fresh new director and let them go crazy with it and have fun with it. Keep the same kind of personality, keep the same kind of uh, pulpy saga style, but mm-hmm. yet reboot it. So I don't know. I don't know what this means. Now there was a rumor, the, the rumors are right now, even though they have not officially announced a new director, the, the rumors are James Mangold and for those of you not aware, James Mangold, we spoke about him most recently with Ford v Ferrari, which was an Oscar-nominated best picture film. Right. Uh, he also did Logan, which was a good movie. Um, he did uh, shoot. What else did James? Man- he did Walk the Line, I believe, many years ago. He did the uh, Johnny Cash biopic. So he's flirted with high-profile productions and projects, and got us some acclaim. But, you know, in all those projects, the director, James Mangold, was never the aspect of those films that stood out for me. So right. can he add an F to this and carry on Indiana Jones 5? I don't know. So that that's the news item. Chris, you just kind of sat Sounds there Sounds like nodding. it may be good. You <laughs> just kind of <laughs> sat there nodding, I guess. I don't know if it's approval or acceptance, but... All right. What's your relationship with the Indiana Jones and do you care at all about where they go now?
1: I mean, I'm I'm interested in them. I liked them a lot as a, as a kid, you know, I really liked them. Um, but I was so distracted by Star Wars going on as a kid that you know they were, they were second tier, you know, cause Star Wars was like the thing I was obsessed with, but I liked them. Uh, when I saw Kingdom of Crystal Skull was coming out, I wanted to go see it. I didn't think it was that great, but you know, um, I do want to revisit it because I think, on a revisit might not be as bad as my, my memory of it, but I, you know, I kind of agree. I'm kind of where you are, you know, if they're going to make a fifth one, you know, maybe Steven Spielberg, maybe he said, you know what? Sure. I'll let you do it. I don't really have the passion for it. Maybe that's why four didn't turn out so well. Somebody else who's, you know, going to, I want to go do other stuff. I don't want to make a sequel type thing. I want to go do you know, so maybe, maybe that is a good thing. Yeah. Um, I, I,
2: Ultimately, I think it is. I think the question is just who who do you get to take the reins True. now? And if they are making this a fifth installment of this ongoing saga and if Harrison Ford's in it, mm-hmm. I mean, there's got to be a point where Harrison Ford can't play this part anymore. you <laughs> would think so. So I would hope. That maybe this is like the transition film where it's like, okay, yeah, we're going to hand the, there's going to be a new Indiana Jones. If
1: I hear Shia LaBeouf's in it, I am so on board because I would love for there to be a transi- transition from Harrison to Shia LaBeouf in this film. So that now would be awesome.
2: When, when Shia LaBeouf was in Crystal no, Skull. No, originally
1: I probably wasn't on board because well, he was Transformers was man.
2: But now. So I was going to say the Shia LaBeouf back when Kingdom of Crystal Skull came out. That was the big thing Everybody was like, oh no, no, right. I don't want him to be right. the new Indiana Jones. Now,
1: I'm kind of with you. After seeing Honey Boy and seeing Peanut Butter Falcon and seeing kind of where he is as an actor, could be
2: At this point, play a charming, sarcastic swashbuckler. Yeah. Okay. Because he was
1: in American, was it American Honey or whatever, which overall the film I didn't care for. But him, he played kind of like a... Charming guy who got people to go along with him on this kind of road journey film or whatever. Yeah, I I could see him being able to do it. See, I'd be okay.
2: With, I'm actually okay with him now. If they decide to go a different direction and recast and you know get somebody else to play his son in this film, yeah, you know, so be it. I just regardless, I think this might sure. be the transition time to say, look, let's. I would agree. I think the Indiana Jones brand needs to continue because it's limitless. You just have these pulp adventures every couple sure. of years. Somebody in the, kind of the. 1940s, 50s, 60s milieu. I mean, be great. Just, I think, you know, I think just like Spielberg has realized that maybe his time's passed on this. Eh, Harrison Ford, collect your paycheck, get your, <laughs> uh, appear in half this next film, but be prepared to kind of move it along would be my recommendation. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So, Chris, do you have a film that
1: you think could be good? So, yeah, maybe. Um, Interestingly enough, it also talks about, or he's involved in it, uh, director James Mangold, who, like he did. Who we just talked about. Just talked about him. You mentioned that he did Walk the Line. Well, a project that he is being tied to is a forthcoming biopic about a musician Called Going Electric, and it will be about Bob Dylan and that period when he stopped being kind of a folk singer and transitioned and went electric and made a lot of people mad. Sure. Timothy Chalamet is playing Bob Dylan. So hmm. there you go. Mr. Chalamet, he was in Little Women, he was in Ladybird. He's, you know, a lot of people are big fans of his. So I don't know. Sounds like it could be good. It's not trying to do. You know, still early going. Not trying to do a biopic of Bob Dylan this entire spanning career. It's taking a moment when it was a big kind of turning point in his career and he was mm-hmm. still young. So having Timothy Chalamet do it. Timothy Chalamet playing a musician, interesting. Playing Bob Dylan, interesting. I don't know. Sounds oh, okay. like it could be good.
2: All the aspects of this. That you've rattled off sound good to me, except for Mangold as the director. Ah. Uh, um, but he
1: did walk re- the line.
2: Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> in Walk the Line, only reason Walk the Line was good, I thought, was the performances. Ah, uh, okay. It was still one of those we're going to cover from birth to Right. Whenever. It was a
1: spanning one. Right? Uh,
2: and it just kind of hit the highlights along the way, which That's how not,
1: Wall Card could make fun of it, because that's it right. was the tip. Exactly.
2: I mean, it did set the blueprint for a Wall Card parody because it just followed right. exactly the beats of. Okay, you're gonna rise up. You're gonna be this hot big star. Oh, now you gotta hit drug problems and you gotta hit <laughs> issues and relationship and all that. and Now we gotta rise you back up again. Um, so I love the idea that this is focusing on that period of time, mm-hmm. Dylan, which I think is fascinating. I love to see him play out. You know how Dylan processed the fact that fans were turning on him and what caused his musical style to want to change and all that it would be really great to see on screen. Right. And I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm Chalamet's biggest fan, but I admit the kid's got talent. And I, I, I'm generally intrigued by the stuff he does on film. So I'm on board with it. Okay. It's just, you know, Ford v. Ferrari was a good, fun film, but it just didn't go deep enough for me to really make it interesting uh, as much as I would have liked. And Logan, I'm one of the guys – I like Logan, but I don't adore it like a lot of comic book movie fans do. Sure. Um, so all this movies have been. If, if the performances are good, then the film's enjoyable. But otherwise, I haven't seen a lot more there. So
1: okay, fair I'm enough. Curious, yeah, sure.
2: The man, if, if Mangold's getting all these projects now, so he does the next Indiana Jones, he does a Bob Dylan pick.
1: Which maybe he's doing the Indiana Jones to get the money to make more of a, you know... Buy a I don't thing. know. If
2: Chalamet's involved, I think that's all. I think that's all the studios need to hear right now.
1: It's like, oh, <laughs> oh we Chalamet. get to
2: plaster Timothy Chalamet's picture all over movie posters and sell a Bob Dylan pick? Absolutely. Where do we sign up? <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> right. um, I don't know. We'll see, but... um. James Mangold. Didn't mm-hmm. know that he'd be domineering our Who new knew? segment here a little bit. So, right. All right. Well, we got two projects that could be good. Don't know. We're waiting. going to wait in here and see what happens with them. Sure. Chris, let's move mm-hmm. on to our trailer tapas. This is where we like to uh, snack on the morsels that are film trailers for upcoming uh, projects that have just gotten our attention. For one reason or another, and Chris, what you've got the first one queued up. What, what are you going to share with us
1: today? We this is a callback to we have mentioned this I think in one of our news segments previously, but it's a new film uh, in the new entry in the Saul franchise called Saul. So the horror movie or horror movies. Just Saw never franchise. Seen any
2: one of these.
1: I have not either, but I've heard about them. Yeah. Um, they've had quite a few. Um, this is a new one, and it is called Spiral. And it involves Chris Rock and Sam Jackson. And I believe Chris Rock is a producer and maybe helped come up with some of the well ideas.
2: for that him. was our news item like months ago right. was that Chris Rock was getting involved with the Cell franchise. Supposedly he approached producers and say he's got a great concept for a new film. He helped write it. And I think he is a producer on it. So, yeah. Okay. Oh, so this is a trailer for that film. Yes, let's watch We're going to play the trailer, Spiral. so if you're just listening to us, you're going to hear a minute or two of just trailer. Uh, if it's something we're checking out, we do recommend you go watch it online or see it on your own, but here, we're going to wa- watch it here, and you may hear us react a little bit to it, and then we're going to kind of give it our feedback after it's done. So here we go. This is Spiral. What do you got there?
0: Oh, it's just my wife, Emma. This is my son, Charlie. Joy while it lasts. While it lasts. Nothing happier than the wife of a new detective. It was cool, man. She's different. You know my wife. You give a woman six hundred Tuesdays, it ain't worth three Saturday nights. How much money you got? A lot. How many problems you got? A lot. How many people are die? A lot. All available units. Ride. Ride. Officer down. I pray that you fly. Detective Banks and Route. This has another motive. They're targeting cops. This is gonna go sideways fast. Someone's out there pulling all the strings. You want to play games, my?
2: All right. So that is the trailer for *Spiral*. Um. <laughs> I mean, I, again, I've not seen any of the Saul films. Sure. So do, you, cannot, do
1: you know the premise behind them?
2: Uh, people get killed in gory ways.
1: Yes. And at That's least for the them. first one, it's like people wake up and they are in a room and it's kind of like an escape room. But to get out of the room, they basically have to kill somebody else or cut their arm off or they have to do like all these terrible things. And You kind of come to see who the people are by the actions they are or are not willing to do. And the person mm. controlling this is this mannequin puppet thing, or at least the voice of it, or you see images of it is called jigsaw that's the and it has also been a sequel of some of the saw movies they made a movie called jigsaw yeah. um there again, I haven't actually seen the movies myself, yeah. but from the trailer, I am interested where they're kind of taking it you know it's from the police perspective, and it's like a a serial killer, kind of like a nemesis joker type situation in a way. Um, I don't know. And the fact that Chris Rock is in it and Sam Jackson, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it, it does intrigue me. Um,
2: well, I, I'm always fascinated when they take a concept or take a franchise and say, let's just, we got a new spin on it. We got a whole new group of people who want to take it and run with it and do something new. So that's great. Executive producer, Chris Rock. I, I don't know enough about Chris Rock's executive producer, <laughs> uh, experience to know if sure. this is like a good thing or not, but at least it could be interesting, I guess. I uh, I don't know. This is one I kind of have to wait and see, hear kind of how it how it's progressing and how people are responding to it before I decide if I'm ready to jump into the Saul franchise or not. So.
1: <laughs> oh, and don't get me wrong. I will probably do the same thing because I am not a horror movie fan. I didn't mention that in our review of Invisible Man, but. I pretty much only go see the ones that are being critically acclaimed. Yeah, so if this comes out, I'll probably give it the weak weight. <laughs> yeah. And if there's buzz around it, sure, I'll go see it. But otherwise, no. Yeah. One. I thought too you many know, pictures
2: of hand saws with yes. arms. I'm like, oh, this is not going to go good. <laughs> sure. Well, okay. So Spiral, that is uh, coming out in 2020. So this year?
1: Yeah, it's supposed to come out in May.
2: Okay. All right. May 15th, 2020 is the release date on that. Well, I will see your Spiral Okay. And I will raise you one Candyman.
1: Now, so, when you said that, were you looking in a mirror? And are you going to say it two time. more times? I'm okay. not say it again.
2: Okay. I'm not saying it again. Okay. This film, as I have already referred to the title already, and we will not mm-hmm. say the title again. Uh, another throwback, I guess throwback. Saul's not really a throwback. It's in the last 15 years or so. This goes a little further back. The original Candyman, I think, was a late 80s, early 90s movie, if I remember correctly.
1: It was correctly. The early
2: 90s. Early yeah. 90s horror movie I never saw it because again I don't generally watch horror movies but what got me interested in this remake or redoing that they're doing is Jordan Peele so gotcha. Jordan Peele is a producer and co-writer I believe on this okay. uh, of course he did Get Out and he did Us both which I really liked Us was at my top five if not right on the border of my top five this past year so I'm, I'm interested to see what he does next right and I did end up watching this trailer already uh, yeah it's creepy yeah, it scares me, but I can see where there might be something interesting going on here. Okay. So, this is the trailer for that word that starts with a C and ends with a M-A-N. <laughs>
0: Candyman. The urban legend is, if you say his name five times while looking in the mirror.
2: Well, it's five times, yeah, not the reflection, so Fair enough. And it kills you.
1: I would do that. Candyman. Candyman. Uh-oh, Alan. Candyman. You're going to do it.
0: Man.
2: Our producer Moose is the one that's worried right Aren't now. He's clear. not watching this. Still
0: alive. <laughs> Let's go, <laughs> You like broke the
1: door. Our producer Moose is shaking his head in the booth. <laughs> <laughs> he is so not watching this movie. Please.
0: I feel really connected to this neighborhood. Cabrini Green. It was a project. I just moved in around the corner. The old candy tracks. I'm an artist. You look like <laughs> a candy man. He's the monster that's part of this neighborhood. Why are you drawn to this? I'm hoping to spread the story. All about Candy Man. The mirror invites you to summon him. Say his name. I dare you. Candyman.
1: Candyman.
0: Candyman. Candyman. <laughs> Don't say that. Candyman. Candyman. it's for you to be another one of his terrible stories i guess he found me
2: Yeah, so that one's that's <laughs> Candyman. Little, little more, a uh, little, little rougher than the spiral. Uh, the spiral trailer. So um, thoughts, Chris?
1: I, you know, I, that movie came out in 1992. I was in college, and they had a sequel to Candyman. And actually, it was a project that I, we were given in class is to direct. Scenes from Candyman to the sequel. We had the shooting script for it, so I did mine with stop motion Star Wars figures. Um, or I did one with Star Wars figures. Wait minute, I, okay, back up for a second. I'm <laughs> so just, no, a I'm interested. There's, I'm a, lot in, there's a lot to unpack. Of, lot I'm interested in Candyman. I yeah. had seen the original film. Never saw the sequel. Um, yeah. So. In college, this that's so I have seen the films. We were given a project, and it was to do scenes from Candyman Two. We were given the shooting script, Who? and I used Star Wars figures as the paint and did like a stop motion recreation of the scene. Who Candyman Two? Like, we we had the shooting script for it. The prof, the professor gave us the shooting script for Candyman oh, Two and said, "Do these scenes because it was like I guess he had access to it." So he's like, "Here's a movie that's being made. The movie had not come out yet." I guess that somehow he got a shooting script, and so, so it was kind of a cool project. I never did see the movie, the segment. I'm just assuming my Star Wars recreation was the very faithful and was amazing, and they wish I had directed the <laughs> sequel instead. Um, I mean, I feel like it, it could be Jordan Peele's involved. It's interesting thing to have to um, to kind of bring back to reheat to redo. A lot of people do like that original Candyman film, or it really affected a lot of yeah. people, including, as we've referenced, apparently our producer back in the booth, Moose, was, like, traumatized by it as a kid. Wow. Um, so it has stuff going going for it, um, Jordan Peele, the look to it. I'm afraid they may have given too much away in the trailer.
2: Well, that seems to be the case with the trailers. Although with these horror movies, I'm fine with just go ahead and give me as much away in the trailer because my chances of actually seeing it in the movie theater are pretty slim to (laughs) none. But um, yeah, Jordan Peele is the big big appeal for me here. I mean, if he's going to be putting his stamp, Monkey Paul Productions is kind of his production arm. I'm all for if he wants to put his unique stamp or help guide some interesting telling of classic horror stories or that's great. So we're, right now we're looking at, we just saw two trailers for films that were taking a pre-existing concept and making it not only modern, but possibly putting a little bit of a unique spin on it. So right. um, I, I'm i interested, but it's again, it's another one I have to hear. wait and see. How does it turn out? You know, is it, is it worth it or, or, or not? So and just because somebody's name is attached to the crest as a producer, doesn't mean it automatically gives it the gold star, the star either. I can think of plenty of examples of, films that had great producers on board but if, you, if the director and the stars are still just not on board or you don't have a great script it doesn't really matter so. Right. alright well that's our trailer tapas we had uh, Spiral the newest in the Saw franchise and the latest uh, the remake of the 1992 classic film Candyman alright so Chris it's time to wrap up our last section of the show here this is where we each give a recommendation of something we think is worth checking out Maybe something that somebody uh, overlooked, maybe a film not many people know about, or it could be a super popular film that we just feel like is worth revisiting uh, for whatever reason. Chris, why don't you take it first and tell us what you've got as a recommendation.
1: I want to start the 10-year appreciation of the film, anniversary appreciation of the film, The Other Guys. The other guys, Will yep. Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg. Correct. It's okay. a 2010 comedy from writer-director Adam McKay, okay. um, who was a frequent collaborator, still does on occasion with uh, Mr. Ferrell. But it's the story of two mismatched New York City detectives. They get an opportunity to step up to this to be try to be the city's top cops. And uh, things are a mess, <laughs> and, it's, and it's amazing. I mean, you've you've got Will Ferrell, and you've got Mark Wahlberg, who obviously had chemistry because they went in, they went forward with making a Daddy's Home and a Daddy's Home Two, <laughs> which I have not seen either one of those. But they realized the chemistry that existed between the two of these comedic timing, and they you know gave them two other movies. I'm not going to recommend those, but I am going to recommend the other guys. There are some. Awesome performances in there as well from Michael Keaton, who plays the police captain. He's just really deadpan and gets – he knows exactly what kind of movie he's in and he seems to be having a ridiculous amount of fun. And it's throwing all sorts of random bits of humor, which they pretty much – I think every single one of them landed for me, which I can see some people – it's like when you watch Anchorman, some people say, oh – well, there's a joke or two in there that's really funny, but just there's so much that doesn't work for people. And you're like, oh, OK.
2: Who are these people you speak of? Right. I, I don't know. I don't know who these people are. But like, every, I tend not to hang out with people who don't find humor all the way through Anger Management. I,
1: so. I mean, right. And so it's kind of one of those litmus tests. But this movie, <laughs> I don't know why more people don't talk about it as being amazing because there's just so much in it that's amazing. I mean, one of the things, and it's kind of a running joke, but it doesn't get tired, and I think is one of the amazing things, is there's this TLC joke about Michael Keaton referencing song lyrics. And, and, you know, that in itself is funny, and it's a running joke, and that's funny, but the fact that it's Michael Keaton doing it is just... Doing it with a straight face is just. This is a little. So it was a
2: little bit of a return for Michael Keaton when he made this movie because mm-hmm. this was before I think he did like Spotlight and some other movies that got him back in the back in everybody's eyes. Uh, he had been out of out, out of, of the out picture of for a little while when this film came about, so I remember that was kind of a big deal. Yeah, you know, I think part of the problem with the other guys from a public standpoint, it
1: doesn't have guess, a great name. The name of the movie name. is not memorable, and I remember
2: the trailer was not was great. not good. I remember actually watching the trailer excited for the movie. Watching the trailers and be like, eh. I mean, the the jokes weren't really landing in the trailer. Okay. So I think just people said, oh, it's just it's like a buddy cop movie, comedy movie. Didn't have a great trailer. The name was not very rememberable. No. So I think that was probably the problem with its appeal. Um, but I, I did see it after it had been out. And, yeah, I thought it was hilarious. And... uh yeah, I actually kind of want to see it again because I don't think I've seen it in like seven or eight years.
1: So. I highly recommend it.
2: All right, that is the other guys. Um, my recommendation, you know, I, I don't think I've mentioned this film before. We maybe you discuss it in passing at times, but Citizen Kane. <laughs> no. Yes, it's a little known <laughs> film that I like. <laughs> no. um, this is not a film I love, but I, I more admire it for what it did, and feel like it gets a bad rap with a lot of people. For other reasons. Interesting. So I, you and I, Chris, both watched the Watchmen series on HBO that ended just uh, not too long ago. It was yes. like eight or nine episodes. Yes. I loved it. I thought it was a wonderful miniseries. The really actor really of good. which
1: was featured in the Candyman trailer we just That's watched. That's right.
2: The individual who played Cal, the husband of the lead character, uh, was actually the lead actor in that Candyman trailer. Um, so I really love the, the limited series. Now, okay. this in, does not hold a candle to that limited series, but I still think is an admirable effort, and it is the film Watchmen okay. that was done by Zack Snyder. I, um, I had a chance to catch up with this and watch most of it again uh, not too long ago, and, yeah, it doesn't all work. Uh, there are some things, you know, Zack Snyder is a very stylish director, and he definitely put his style stamp on several parts of the film that I could have done without some of the overdone cinematics that he added to the film. Okay. But it was a tough feat. I mean, The Watchmen is a graphic novel written by Alan Moore. Uh, it was like 12 issues long, I believe, and collected in big, big uh, volume versions now for people to read. But it's a very dense story. Mm-hmm. A lot of characters, a lot going on. Very much a story of the time, back in the mid-80s when it was written. Um and considered one of the greatest graphic novels or greatest comic collections ever made, right? Um, so Zack Snyder, it was a little bit of an interesting choice when he was chosen to direct it. He had come off of 300, and he, I think, his first film, like feature film, was a one of the talk the uh, uh zombie, um, uh, Night of the Living Dead type of spinoff movies. Okay. So he was an interesting choice, but I remember, I think, Chris, you and I actually went to go see this together when it came out. I yes. Think. Uh, I was very excited for the film, and I came out generally overall okay with the film. I still thought it wasn't everything I wanted from it, but I thought it was good enough.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And watching it since then, I realized that, you know, that was a big challenge. There's a lot to fit into that movie, and I think the film actually does an admirable job of telling the story it told. And I thought all the people they chose uh, actors-wise were really good in all their parts as well. So I'm going to give it a recommendation only because I think it's gotten a bad rap. Uh, I think it was trying to pull off a near-impossible feat and I think in hindsight, it did pretty well by it.
1: Well, and it's really popular these days to dump on Zack Snyder. So yeah. I think that, you know, watching the whole DC mud.
2: universe, Justice right. League, all that right. came to a head. Yeah. It's, it, it, he is the poster boy for beating up on, on <laughs> cinema right now. Right. Um, it has a very epic feel. Again, I love some of the acting in it. I think, uh, you know, um, trying to think of most noted. Jackie or Haley mm-hmm. as uh, R- Rorschach was really good in the mm-hmm. film. Um, who's the guy that played, uh, Dr. Manhattan? Billy Crudup. She, Billy Crudup was good as Dr. Manhattan. Um, Oste, o- was done by, I'm so bad with names now. Who was the kid uh, that played?
1: It wasn't, Jeremy Irons is in the miniseries. No, yeah, Jeremy
2: Irons is in the, uh, HBO Ozymandias
1: series. in the movie. Yeah, I'm trying to think.
2: Oh gosh, this is going to haunt me. If and I'm the
1: aware. guy who played Night Owl in the movie was... Somewhat well-known. Patrick Wilson. Yeah, Patrick Wilson. Yeah.
2: Uh, but then um, Matthew Good. Matthew played okay. played Adrian Veidt or Osmandias. Yeah. Um, you know, all really good. Carlo Gugino, uh, Malin Ackerman, all doing a really good job. Jeffrey Dean Morgan, I completely forgot mm. he was Edward Blake or the comedian. Mm. Um, so, you know, visually there's a lot of scenes that kind of stick with me from this film. And I think there are some sequences that really work. Yes, he did change a good part of the ending, and yes, he got a lot of ire online for people, for yeah. not including the squid. And for those of you who have read the novel or watched the HBO series, you know what I'm talking about. Right. There's a giant squid in the book. HBO didn't back away from it. Nope. HBO showed it to they us. They leaned into it. They leaned all the way into it. But I think Zack Snyder, whether it was studio interference or just pressure to make it more acceptable to general public, I think went With a little safer route of nuclear holocaust instead of a a giant squid transporting (laughs) and crushing New York City. Regardless, I think the movie's good. I think it's worth checking out if you enjoyed the HBO series. It does harken back to the the HBO series. does kind of reference something specifically from the movie, I think. A little more than others. So, Anyway, I liked it. I thought it was good. I, I don't think it deserves all quite the negativity it's getting right now. So... I uh, just had a chance to watch it again recently, and, and think uh, there may be something good there. So, fair enough. So that's our recommendations for this episode. Kind of two unique choices, not ones I would have North Shelley We assumed we would have picked yeah. the other guys for Chris, and then Watchmen for me. Uh, and of course, we had our reviews earlier in the show of The Invisible Man and Pain and Glory. We liked both films. We really, really connected with Pain and Glory. Invisible Man, we liked. We just felt like it had some plot and storytelling issues that really hampered it later down the stretch. And then of course we talked about Indiana Jones. We talked about James Mangold twice for some reason. And uh his
1: publicist can kind of check.
2: Right. And then uh we also shared a couple trailers of some upcoming horror films that sound interesting. So Chris, we covered a lot of ground. People may have some questions for us or thoughts or impressions. How can they go about sharing those with those?
1: You can send us an email with feedback to info at dot TV and mention foot candle in the subject line. You can also follow us on Twitter at FootCandlefilm. And then Alan and I do leave occasional uh, posts on Letterboxd to track what we're seeing and things like that. And that's Letterboxd without the last E. So it's just B-O-X-D, but that's a site we use. Um, Keep in mind, our Foot Candle Film Festival will be running this year, September 23rd through the 27th. We're doing the preliminary, putting together ideas and events for that weekend. So uh, it's a long... It'll actually start on Wednesday and run through Sunday. So uh, try to come see us or come visit the festival the 23rd through the 27th of September. If you can, make early plans.
2: We announce the films and start selling tickets in July. July. Mm -hmm. Okay, so July will be the time to kind of set your reminder to... Check that out and come join us. And yeah, you know, if you as we get down the road, if you think about coming up for the weekend and uh, traveling from out of the area, please let us know. Give us a drop us a note and let us know. We'd love to see you while you're in town. Alright, well, with that, we're gonna go ahead and wrap up uh this episode of Foot Candle Films. Chris, as always, thanks. Appreciate it. Enjoy it. And we'll look forward to talking to everybody next time.
1: See you in the ticket line. Oh, I would watch you.